My name's Olivia. I'm Raven. We are not the default Americans. When we go back in the past for black history, well, now we got a problem. But for white people? How far you want to go? If you want to piss off any everyday average non-black American, just add black. Including black people is not excluding white people. Every damn time we get rights or acknowledgement, it sparks a violent rage. Especially in white people. I am not less deserving just because I'm a black blind woman. Disability makes a lot of people uncomfortable. It affects the psyche of people with disabilities. Like, did we not contribute? Another way to fight against oppression is to celebrate our successes and our progress. We're not completely our oppression. You can sit there and talk about how you think everybody is equal, but do equality, do equity. As long as they're getting what they need, they don't want things to change. Today we're talking about disability, personhood, and the meaning of life, which sounds way more uh, philosophical than we're actually going to get. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get too technical because the things that people write down on paper is not necessarily how they play out in life. I mean, you can talk about legal and moral personhood, but I really want to talk about the way that people view us socially, the ways in which society dehumanizes us and the types of ideas that contribute to that. Right. Because you can write a bunch of shit on paper and that's great. But we know that people do not live by fucking constitutional personhood and all this shit. Nobody gives a fuck about this. The legal system doesn't even give a fuck about this. Nobody lives life in between definitions. It doesn't influence the way that people in everyday society interact with us and view us. Or like I said, even people in the legal system, they don't mm -hmm. care about that. We are still viewed as subhuman. Still. Right. What really made me think of this is we did our episode on Helen Keller and... A big chunk of that was dissecting Helen Keller's article, Physicians, Juries for Defective Babies. And the first paragraph of that letter, there were some ideas that I had about things I wanted to talk about when it came to breaking that paragraph down, but I, I hadn't quite parsed it out yet for that episode. I was gonna, I'm like, well, let me record an extra thing by myself. But then I was like, no, Olivia's gonna want in on this because... This, yes, this is our experience about yeah. how people dehumanize us. And also some of the stuff that Helen Keller wrote in this letter is very ableist. And it might seem like we're very distant from these types of thoughts in today's society. But I don't think that. I think she just penned a lot of the thoughts and views that people had then and still have today. But the people today are not going to admit to it. At least most people. Some people actually fucking will. Most people today, the people that are our family members, our friends, colleagues, support persons, medical professionals, they're not going to admit to having these types of thoughts, but I'm sorry. They think it. Subconsciously, it's in there because eugenics had very long-lasting effects on societal views. And the history behind it evolved out of infantilizing and looking down upon disabled people and viewing us as just unable, full stop. And while we have gotten rid of a lot of aspects of eugenics, 
Sort of. It's not as mainstream anyway. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. The idea of eugenics is not as mainstream as it used to be in as many communities as it used to be in. Mm -hmm. But it still affects the disability community. It still affects people of color. And the philosophy that is behind that still impacts us. Even if you don't believe in eugenics, you still think disabled people are less than or at a certain point of disabled you are less than which we're gonna get into we're gonna get into all of that (laughs) so this is very messy so a big way in which we are dehumanized is people reduce disabled people's humanity to their injury or health condition Mm mm-hmm We just get seen essentially as a disability and not a person with hopes, dreams, desires, goals. We don't get seen as beings that really get any enjoyment out of life, right? When people look at us, they just think you can't or they focus so much on the ways in which our life is fucked up. They don't even know all the ways in which our life is fucked up. They don't even know know. the the half of it. They don't even understand that sort of thinking alone yes. is what makes our lives so fucked up. But exactly. you're right, like people can't see once you become or are born disabled, they can't see the humanity past what they consider the damage. Mm-hmm. That's as far as it goes for yeah. able-bodied sighted people. Well, and I think too, when we bring like meaning of life stuff into it, which we'll get mm-hmm. more into when I actually start pulling in points from Helen Keller's article. People don't believe that we can have independently meaningful existences, I guess. They really don't. Like, you're, like the, meaning, the meaning of your life is dictated by other people and not... It can be argued that there are people who feel that that's just life in general. Sure. Like, the purpose of life is the interactions and the relationships that you have with others. But I don't think that that thinking is extended to people with disabilities i do think it is very much like you need other people in order for your life to have meaning not your life has meaning because of the relationships you have with other people Mm -hmm. or just like i said we don't get seen as people with goals or right a mission in life a lot of time the disabled people who are most popular to talk about in that respect are the folks who actually do advocacy for the disability community, uh, as if yes. like there's not a life for us outside of our disability or advocating, which is terrible to think about. But I think people see people with disabilities who are advocates like the only people you could possibly help are the disabled people, because what do us neurotypical able bodied sighted people need from you what do we need from you like how could you possibly help us versus you know like oh that's cool that you're helping others like you i agree with that which is wild to think about because there's so many different types of disabilities and so there are disabled people who can help people whether they are medical professionals scientists or lawyers especially there's a lot of fucking disabled lawyers and they don't just go into disability law or civil rights law there's disabled people who run auto mechanic shops and shit right like Mm -hmm. there's so many different types of disabilities some of us live like these really tremendously impactful lives like some non-disabled people do and then some of us live these everyday existences most of us live these humdrum basic boring ass lives just Just like non-disabled people 
Yes. Yes. There is an average because most people are. Yeah. And we brought that up in the Helen Keller episode where it's like Mm -hmm. most of us are just getting by the best way we can, non-disabled or disabled. Like most of us are not out here kicking asses and taking names and flipping tables. That's not most people. We are just trying to get by, make it to the next day, make it to the next year and achieve our little goals. Um, whether it's running our own business, having a family, whatever the case is. Like, it's weird, though, that for disabled people, there's this double standard that, like, if you don't have a hugely impactful existence where you're out here doing disability advocacy or something of that caliber, then then you're useless. useless. Or your life's just not valuable, rather. Whereas, like, a non-disabled person they can get away with any manner of function or dysfunction and it's just like well it's just they just didn't get there yet or like oh well that's them we're not allowed to be just us as disabled people and it's just like that with any marginalized group right yes marginalized people have to go hard or do more in order to be seen as worthy whereas the dominant group they just gotta fucking be there and people are like well they're trying yeah all right I'm going to attack some points in the first paragraph from Helen Keller's letter that we read in our episode on Helen Keller's activism and ableism. And I will link to that in the show notes. The second sentence of that first paragraph, Helen Keller made the claim that some people's idea of life is just to breathe. And she was specifically referring to the folks who were advocating against killing severely disabled children or disabled Mm -hmm. children in general because i don't even think you have to be severely disabled in order for them to decide that you weren't worth anybody's time or ever Mm -hmm. and she goes on to say that such an existence is not worthwhile (laughs) first of all this article that she wrote it's not like it was in reference to folks living out existence as vegetables she wasn't talking about people like that in this article she was talking about a child who, An infant. A newborn. He had different deformities. He was missing one of his ears and then the eardrum of the other ear. His face was connected to his shoulder on one side. And then he had a closed GI tract. That's the short of his medical issues. Some people took this medical case to a doctor and he was like, yeah, you just got to let this kid die. Like, there's nothing we can do for him. And even if we can, he's going to have... A. He's going to have a miserable life. life. He's going to be a mental and moral defective. And he was going to be a burden on his family and society. That's right. This article that she wrote wasn't even in reference to people who are just breathing, right? It's not like this child, you know, was born and could only breathe. And it was so short sighted because she had no clue. I mean, all infants are helpless. You don't know what their potential is. And even her, no, she wasn't born disabled. Unless she came but disabled she, in toddlerhood. Yes. But even still, like, it was well within people's ideology to be like, well, she's useless now. She can't see, she can't hear, can't speak. And the fact that she didn't see herself in, in the infant. same position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As this, this baby, but you're making all these assumptions. Oh, he's going to be this way because he because he has these deformities and disabilities right right like you don't know what his capability could have been this person had more abilities than just fucking breathing and to water it down to that is 
essentially just devaluing this person's existence because he had disabilities. He had impaired abilities, fewer physical abilities for sure. Mm-hmm. And we don't even know if he would have had impaired cognitive function, right? We have no idea. We don't he only know. lived for five days. It wasn't even living. He starved to death he and it took five, five days, days. Yeah. for his life to end. In my opinion, it was just a short-sighted way out of making a real argument. <laughs> Of course, in cases such as this, people don't take a lot of times do not take the time to actually understand what the other side is saying. They just go off their interpretation, which is what she was doing. She's like, oh, they just think life is to breathe. And it's like, well, no, that's not what they're saying. Or we don't know. Maybe that was something. I mean, I'm sure there are some people who are that way, but that's not all opponents of eugenics or all folks who consider themselves as the all life is sacred crowd, which they don't even believe that. So the next thing that she did say is it's the possibilities of happiness, intelligence and power that give life its sanctity. This is difficult because happiness, intelligence and power are incredibly subjective. I'm just going to break this down because, you know, she didn't have a background in philosophy or anything. But I think that what she meant by happiness is the ability to find meaning in life or have a meaningful existence or maybe even the ability to find enjoyment in life. Which means different things to different people. It does. Yeah, because I don't know if we want to use enjoyment and meaning interchangeably. I do think finding enjoyment in life is part of the way that we get meaning out of existing. I agree. So if they don't mean the same thing, for sure, enjoyment is a part of meaning. Right. We're talking Just about like a purpose is a part of meaning. Yes. And she's asserting that a person born with so many disabilities um, and deformities is not going to be able to get happiness out of life. You do not know that. You have no there's, idea. there's not a way for any of us to know what someone else is going to find enjoyable exactly even if you just boil it down to other animals (laughs) they just eat play have sex and spend the rest of the time just trying to fucking get by even if you boil the human life down to that who am i to say that that's not a meaningful life that would not be enough for me but does that mean that's an insufficiently meaningful existence for everyone no way Exactly, because your meter is not the only one that matters. To take it a step further, then, you can look at any infant and say that, like, how do we know they're going to find meaning and purpose in life or enjoyment? You don't know that. So you can't make that determination about any, well, she was talking about a child, so I'm talking about infants as well. Every time an infant is born, whether they have a disability or not, you have no clue what the fuck is going to happen with that child in the future. Will they find meaning? Will they be the next mass murderer? Or will they just be average? You don't know. Or will they die in eight months from what they call sudden infant death syndrome, right? Right. So the fuck what? So the fuck what? I find that very disturbing. I agree. The possibility of happiness makes life sacred when, like, happiness is going to be something different for everybody. There are some people who get meaning out of just having children and raising a family. That sounds like a horrifying existence to me. I got to tell you something. But do I think no one should live that way? No, I don't think that. I think that's great for them. I love that for you. I love that saying because 
I can love something for you and it not be for me. That's not taking anything off you in any capacity. They did the, I think it's intrinsic happiness survey. Mm -hmm. And it was found that people with a higher position, CEOs and stuff were reportedly less happy than baristas, for example, because they looked for happiness in places where they weren't finding it because whether it was time or stress or whatever. And even though they had more money, they were actually less happy for various reasons. Whereas not to say that less money makes you happier because I won't ever say that. I'm not going to say that either. (laughs) But people who had less had to learn how to deal with less and work with less. And so they found happiness in other places. Majority of the time, it wasn't their fucking job. So you can't qualify it or mm-hmm. quantify it, whatever. You can't yeah, quantify. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> she was way off base. Well, it's interesting. So I have a job that I really love mm-hmm. and it's working with animals. Anybody who works with animals in general, if you work with taking care of people, whether it's child care or severely disabled people or uh, mm-hmm. senior citizens who can no longer support themselves. It's mm-hmm. messy sometimes. Nurses, right? Messy, 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 helping take care of other living beings. Mm-hmm. I still love my job because it's more than that. Like I could sit there and be like, damn, my job is just cleaning up shit and bathing nasty dogs all day or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could boil it down to that, but my job mm-hmm. is a lot more than that. I'm not going to just sit there and look at the uh, literally crappy parts of my job and mm-hmm. think that, well, it's not a great job because of the crappy parts of my job. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. To you, to somebody else. Oh, to somebody else, totally my job, feel... they don't understand how I live. Right. They feel like, <laughs> I would not want to clean up dog shit all day and blah, blah, no. blah. And same like my job. I feel my job has no meaning. There are other people who feel like the same job has meaning and they're like, I feel important. One of my first jobs was working in a call center. Mm -hmm. The letters that stand for the company are Mm D-I-R. And I was just sitting there doing my job. And in between calls, I was talking to this lady. I was just asking her how long she's been working at the call center. And she said something like seven or eight years. Mm -hmm. And I just was just like, huh, wow. And she's like, I know. She's like, I'm a D-I-R lifer. Mm. And let me tell you something right now. Absolutely not. I am happy that she had, and I hope she still has, a job that she is happy with. Mm -hmm. But I thought if I work here for seven or eight years, I'm going to be very depressed at best. At best. I was like, God, I hope I'm not here for even a year. I mean, I really thought that. But Mm -hmm. it's not because I don't think that job is not meaningful, period. But not meaningful to to me shit i had some bills i needed to pay and get through college and that's what that job meant literally (laughs) that's what that's the thing for a lot of people like yes and for example in the u.s a lot of people get their worth from their jobs and if you if you do a menial job people tend to look down upon you as if you are a menial person And so we put a lot of stock in education. We put a lot of stock in position. And because of that, we have learned to correlate our happiness, our self-worth and everything with what we do. So when you don't do something that is high powered or high profile, you are culturally taught that you are less valuable. So then going back to the happiness thing, 
if in fact the U.S. we rank fairly fucking low on the happiness scale. <laughs> I think we're always in like the 20s or something. I don't know how many countries they do. Yeah, we ain't never sad. in the top 10 or the top 15 because a lot of people in the U.S. are not happy because of the way the system is set up. Mm-hmm. And so for you to say that meaning in life, like that is really the sanctity of life. She said the, happiness oh, gives I'm life sorry. sanctity. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's the case. There's a lot of people who do not <laughs> agree with you. Yeah, statement. because that's fucked up. And, and like we already <laughs> said earlier, a non-disabled person can live out a humdrum existence and mm-hmm. get a chance at finding happiness or being depressed and working through those issues or, and They're sometimes not. Slight. And mm-hmm. we'll give them that opportunity. But if you are disabled, no, like you've got to have a meaningful existence. Like that's the only existence you have a right to. Right. Meaningful or useless. I told you this before, but this was in a different country. But he said that as a person with a disability off the top, I wouldn't even be considered a person. We have said before, like America doesn't see black people as people. So when off the line, you're already at a social disadvantage because people already think negatively of you or what could you possibly bring to humanity? Yeah. Pretty intense, but honestly, the way society looks at (sighs) people in marginalized groups. Right. The other part of what she said gives life sanctity is intelligence. Also very subjective. Yeah. Um, And there's different types of intelligence. Yes. <laughs> that's one thing, and that's objective. When I learned that, that blew my mind. Yes. Because I didn't know that, because people only talked about intellect as far as, like, academic ability. And, oh, yeah. yeah academic cognitive and function. Reasoning. There you go. Cognitive function. And that was the only type of intelligence I was aware of until probably I was, like, probably an adult. Because prior to that, that is the only type of intelligence that was ever talked about. I mean, there's people who talk about emotional intelligence, but also it extends to your ability to reason, Mm -hmm. academic or educational attainments, Mm -hmm. and also cognitive function. And these are all different things because there are some people, it's some really fucking book smart people, very um, well educated academically. And I'm sorry, I'm going to just say their reasoning abilities are very bad i used to think that absolved you i used to be like well you have two master's degrees and you must be very smart and uh Mm. i have learned that that is not the case why is this a thing though it's not everybody obviously who's got graduate level degrees but there are so many people who i've met who do they got two masters they got a, a jd and a phd they are md whatever and then everyday ability to reason though is not there probably because their brains are fried it's so wild I, it's got to be from exhaustion or there's something that has nobody's just, done that study but they need to they need to it, study the prefrontal cortexes of people with graduate, graduate level degrees yes <laughs> they need to do it because there's there something to this there is freaking burnout but they might also there might be a portion of people who just buy into the idea that because i have these degrees then i am inherently more intelligent than you so i don't have to try Ooh, that's interesting. And it's that, like, I mean, that's some people for sure. Like, no matter what, I've already won because I have a doctorate. And it's like, no, no, baby. <laughs> like, that's not how no, this goes. Yeah, I'm sorry. I disagree. There's, listen, there's way more to life than an operating room or a lecture mm-hmm. hall. I'm sorry. You're going to have to, 
you gotta level up please <laughs> on that up on the other end of the spectrum are people who dropped out of school a grade-ish but they are they have a different type of intelligence and they are very smart you could say they know a little about a lot of different things some mm-hmm. of these people they know a lot about a lot of different things i'm not talking about people with useless random facts about everything i'm talking about people who know useful shit about so many different things and it's fascinating because they will say yeah i dropped out of school in the 10th grade i tried to do college and it just didn't work for me right um but just incredibly intelligent people yeah like very knowledgeable rather all of these different types of jobs they might have moved around but experience is the best teacher and i do think you can retain information that you learn firsthand so when these people have experienced the life and they say, well, this won't work because I've lived it versus somebody who's just hypothesizing. Or somebody who just like, read, like they just right, read it in a read. book. And I'm not going to lie. I'm that person. I read a lot and I felt like my empathy skills are on 10,000. So I feel like I can gain some knowledge from reading. However, nothing truly beats, for example, I read this book. I've been thinking about it a lot lately called 438 Days and the Guy Was Lost at Sea. And he ended up surviving. And I read all the things that he did. But do not put me out at fucking sea because, yes, I read what he did. And, yes, he survived. But the reality is when you are faced with actual events, your, what do you call it? Your skill set? Your skill set. I learned this in all my martial arts training. They say you don't. You don't rise to the occasion and you fall to the level of training. You can read all you want, but when you're thrown into it in reality, it's not going to be the same because it's not hypothetical anymore. It's real. So just because I read what he did and how he survived, I can guarantee you if you throw my black ass out to see, I'm a goner. <laughs> right. I think that's definitely true. There's some situations in which reading helps you a lot and then there's other situations where the best teacher is definitely going to be experience for the folks who didn't even obtain a high school diploma if you get these folks who have worked so many jobs lived in so many places been exposed to so many different living environments living situations mm-hmm. groups of people that is definitely going to make them more well-rounded right equally well-rounded I should Uh say. Street smart is a short way of putting that. When we talk about cognitive function in regards to intelligence and getting meaning out of life, this is really tricky. There are pursuits or hobbies or conversation topics that people consider highbrow or lowbrow (laughs) entertainment or activities. And all of that is bullshit at the end of the day. Especially when we think about the fact that there are some folks who are considered cognitively impaired, but they have reasoning abilities that surpass those of folks with everyday abilities of cognition. Yeah, they cut through the bullshit. They see life in a very different way. Right. And they're not bogged down by all these other... Social niceties and shit. Exactly. Or there's folks who are considered CI... This is a short for cognitively impaired, but they're like incredibly good at math or science or they know so many languages or they have incredibly good problem solving skills just because the way they behave socially is like 
really fucking weird to the rest mm-hmm. of us because it's not Off-putting, what the rest of us yeah. were socialized to do. It doesn't mean this person isn't intelligent. And, right. And I don't know, like the fucking rest of us, there are areas in which all of us have higher intelligence or higher knowledge and areas where we don't. Right. Like, yes. I can tell you all about taking care of dogs. I have a bunch of medical knowledge you and have practical experience. And, and I have practical experience in that area. Now, if you were like, all right, now take care of this person. And I'd be like, listen, <laughs> Not I'm a, my forte. I'm like, no, I need help now. Like my intelligence on how to take care of a person that actually legitimately fucking needs my help on a level that other animals do. I'm not going to be skilled at that. Or even there's people who are really good at fixing cars, but you wouldn't say that they're not intelligent because they don't know the ins and outs of financial investing, right? Exactly. I mean, people do. (laughs) People do. They'll call you stupid. But again, it's another double standard that we have for able-bodied people. It's okay for them to excel in some areas and not in others. But when we come down to disabled people, there's a level at which that stops being tolerated. Where like, well, if you don't excel at behaving according to social norms, well, now you're just a freak. or You're a weirdo. Something is wrong with you. People who speak in a way, like people with speech impediments, there is a deep level of disrespect, oh man, for folks with speech impediments. And that's really tough too, because some people, like, they get seen as not intelligent simply because they have a speech impediment. Or if you speak broken English here in the U.S. Yes, oh my Lord. People just assume that you must not be intelligent. And it's like, no, that's not an indicator of someone's intelligence. Right. Or lack thereof. Mm-hmm. Even if you're not able to achieve average level of intelligence in any fucking area, I still mm-hmm. don't think that means you can't get meaning out of life because that's true. There are people who they like to sit and count the Legos in a box or something, something that like, listen, man, I cannot imagine my favorite thing in the world to be sitting and counting Legos in a box and sorting them by color. But does that mean? That that's a shitty existence? Nope. Just one that doesn't work for me. It's just, yeah, it's, it's just one that I would not want. It's interesting that we'll, we'll look down upon that type of stuff, but it's okay for people to get fulfillment out of stuff like golf or bowling, mm-hmm. but not okay for some people other to forms. Count Legos. Yeah, for somebody to sit there and count Legos in a box and sort like, to me, I'm sorry. It's the same type of shit. All of that. Listen, you know what I think? <laughs> that sort of thing boils down to, privilege yes and people making meaning where there isn't any people want to say oh golf you have to use trigonometry but really all you're taking all you're doing is hitting a ball with a modified stick i think it's boring i'm with that on like <laughs> even bowling if you want to talk about some meaningless shit for real i don't even understand listen it's not my thing i find golf to be very boring probably more like a lot of these things more fun to do there's some things that are a little bit more obviously like if you're watching gymnastics and you watch them flip and turn and twist and do all that you're like wow that is super cool because my brain's being entertained watching these people do this stuff versus golf where you're just staring at some person checking out distances and calculating wind speed and then hitting a ball i cannot imagine getting excited for that now well mini golf when you're trying to do it yourself, hilarious. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I find that to be fun, but I don't think I would 
get the same enjoyment if I was just sitting there watching people. Yeah. So, but am I to say golf is not meaningful? It's not to me, but yeah, to no, somebody else. It is truly meaningless to me. Again, there's this double standard that exists. And even if somebody does have impaired cognition, I think they have just as much a right to live out their life being fascinated by whatever activities they're fascinated with or involved in as anybody else does. I don't think that makes life any less meaningful. And what the fuck difference does it make to me? I don't have to live their existence. Yeah. I think people forget that. People no, forget no one's saying that, that you have to live this right. <laughs> like, just because this is what they're doing that we all must. And I think, ooh, child, I think that is the thing with a lot of people. That's the problem that we face today is mm-hmm. a lot of people feel like their way is the only way and everyone must do it their way, especially here in the U.S. Yes. With absolutely. all the laws being passed. Like, this is what I believe. This is what I think. This is how I feel. So, ergo, you all must. And it's like, nah, but we're all living individual lives. And so what's important to you is not going to be as important or important at all to another person. Right. Lastly, in this particular quote, she said that power is also what gives life sanctity. And I am interchanging sanctity with meaning. I interpret power, you know, I'm guessing at what she meant by it, because I don't think she meant power as in you know, obtaining a position of power. I really think she just meant having agency and autonomy, or at least developing agency and autonomy, the ability to pursue opportunities and set goals, uh, make everyday choices for yourself, and maybe even the power or ability to provide for yourself. I really don't think she meant obtaining a position of power because that would be a stupid ass thing to say because everybody is not going to be in a position of power. So you can't say that no. that's what gives most life meaning. people are not going most to people be in won't. Of power. If it means the ability to provide for yourself and the ability to pursue opportunities and to set goals. Again, it's one of those things that's subjective because all of that is going to mean different things depending on what your disabilities are. One of the things that Olivia and I talked about before we started recording was the folks who have ALS or people who have locked-in syndrome. These are two different disorders in case people don't know that. This includes people who have average cognition or above average cognition because I think Stephen Hawking was, uh, he had ALS. But they require an immense amount of assistance, especially with ALS, your body is slowly shutting down. With locked-in syndrome, this refers to the condition where you are paralyzed, but your brain still functions, quote-unquote, normally. Some of these people can communicate with their eyes, and so they can use a system, a technology, where they can look at different letters or symbols to communicate things and make sentences. And of course, you've got a machine reading it out or displaying it for them. And to me, that sounds horrifying. I'm not going to sugarcoat that. That it sounds horrifying to live in that state. As a person with a disability yes. and people fear blindness the most. No, locked in syndrome or that's, ALS. That sounds maybe, terrifying. That sounds utterly terrifying. Like to be aware but not being able to do anything about it, that to me is, to me, a fate worse than death. But I would never say that, that those if somebody, that those people shouldn't exist. I'm talking about from my perspective, I cannot determine 
what life means to people who are living those existences. Mm -mm. I've had people say to me as a blind person, I'd rather be dead than blind. I think that's a bit extreme. And maybe somebody with locked in syndrome or ALS might think the same thing. Yeah, they (laughs) might they might think that we're being extreme. extreme. Like when Olivia said that's a fate worse than death. But it's one of those situations where they need a lot of assistance. They can't really provide for themselves almost everything that they do. Everything that we consider everyday things that we do for ourselves, they need somebody to help them with that. And there are people who have more mobility than than folks with locked in syndrome, and they still need help with that too because they have memory issues mm-hmm. or they're wheelchair users. Exactly. Or they just have extremely limited mobility. So even though they're not paralyzed, their mm-hmm. limitations in mobility prevent them from successfully completing those tasks independently. Right. And as somebody who needs help with some everyday basic shit, not to the extent of these previously mentioned conditions, but when I need help with everyday bullshit, it is upsetting to me. When I think about something like reading, there are sometimes we're reading. I'm just like, God, how wonderful it would be to just be able to glance at this and find mm-hmm. the information that I'm looking for. I got to open mm-hmm. a phone app and hope that I'm aiming the camera correctly and positioning the object or the paper or the box correctly. And you always looking at the part of the paper or box that doesn't have what are, what you're looking for. It's That's just, just always the fucking case. <laughs> you're like, seriously. And then even if you use one of those apps where like be my eyes and you call in, hopefully you can get a person. And then if you get a person, hopefully, 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 hopefully there are all these stipulations that have to be met. And you're like, or like when you and I were trying to order DoorDash. Oh my God, y'all. Wait, like, stop. This is some stupid shit. Okay, so Olivia and I met in person for the first time. Finally. I know, <laughs> finally. Um, At the end of April. Mm. And yes, we were ordering DoorDash. <laughs> and the biggest bitch about DoorDash, I don't know about anybody else, but people who are totally blind have this issue for sure yes it's not oh it wasn't God. just us okay we are not just like technologically illiterate because we were Especially both sitting not there. you we were both sitting there we <laughs> both had it open on our phones we were passing my phone back and forth trying to figure out <laughs> how to place this order it took us 40 minutes to yes. place a DoorDash order 40 minutes 40 we minutes bitch essentially had our fucking food by then we could have <laughs> went across the hall and had the neighbors do it and it would have been faster which whatever like mm-hmm. that and that's just one example because i'm not saying that like okay well it was doordash y'all like first world problems right it's not just doordash like that is symbolic of so many other fucking things that exactly we need help with and have trouble doing or just can't fucking do because mm-hmm. of the time tax that we right. have to pay as disabled Disability people. Disability tax. Oh, yeah. They, I think they call it yeah. crip time. Okay. That's new to me, but I like it. Yeah. So it impacts all of us who are disabled, especially physically disabled. But I think it impacts folks for sure with cognitive impairments and even mm-hmm. folks who have mental illness. So mm-hmm. that is just a big sacrifice that we make to get through life every day is fucking mentally exhausting and it's funny because some people might be listening to this and be like y'all y'all could have cooked and had a meal ready in 40 minutes we wanted some fucking indian food we wanted indian food and neither one of us (laughs) is proficient at cooking indian food so does that mean that we should not be privy to the same privileges as other people yes because because i want to access that privilege 
of exactly. having somebody bringing you prepared food just like a non-disabled person. Exactly. Like, I should be able to access that just as easily and often as anybody else. Like, that's some mm-hmm. bullshit. And unfortunately, there are people who experience this for tasks like cooking a meal. Cooking a meal Everybody is not able to do that. Everybody is not able to stand in front of a stove for the amount of time that it takes to cook a meal, right? Mm -hmm. This is part of the issue with like when people talk about eating healthy and stuff, there's a lot of ableism Mm -hmm. in that movement for fresh food. Everybody is not able to cut up vegetables. Or be able to buy the ones that are already cut up. You know, they're like, oh, well, you spent $4.89 on cut up vegetables where you could have just spent 69 cents on the whole thing. Well, I can't cut things up. Not me specifically, but a person Mm -hmm. maybe can't. But maybe they also don't have the money for the $4.89 to buy the cut up vegetables. Everybody does not have the same abilities to prepare fresh food for a variety of of reasons. Oh, yeah. Living in food deserts. Jesus. (sighs) So this is one of those things that I don't think having certain abilities is what makes life meaningful. And here's the real thing. Like part of it is this. When you grow up having a certain disability or if you become disabled later in life, whether it is, Mm -hmm. you know, the later part of childhood or adulthood, whatever. A lot of us just learn to fucking accept this. Like, it is not normal in general, but it is our normal. And as frustrating as it often is, there are a lot of things about our normal that's not frustrating. Mm -hmm. I don't think it should be the case that like, okay, well, because you have to deal with all these different frustrations and the more severely disabled you are, the more frustrations you are going to have. One, that's not necessarily true. But two, it doesn't mean that for the three things that happen in your life that you don't find frustrating, that's not worth anything. Mm-hmm. I am going to quote another sentence from this paragraph. I think there are many more clear cases of such hopeless death in life than the critics of Dr. Heiselden realize. If you didn't listen to the episode on Helen Keller, she's talking about this doctor that let the infant die that we were talking about earlier, because obviously there he got a lot of backlash. This sentence highlights a focus on the drawbacks of disabled existence rather than the various ways in which people can find enjoyment in life. When she said hopeless death in life, she means that there is a point at which being disabled is worse than dying. Okay, don't say damn because you have already voiced this earlier. Yeah. That's why I think the stuff that she wrote is really jarring, but it Mm -hmm. is stuff that we all think. I'm not saying we all agree with everything that I'm talking about here that she wrote, but there Mm -hmm. are various ideas in this paragraph that maybe one or another or all of them or a few of them, we are going to kind of agree with because you are, you already voiced that there are certain disabilities that you view as worse for me than death. Yes. For you. One of the things that we parsed out together when we were talking about this topic is this is going to sound inspiration porny but (laughs) there are folks who get their meaning in life from disabled people sometimes it's from taking care of disabled people or making it their life's mission to help disabled people get independence or they just see a disabled person living their everyday existence and they're like damn you know what that is inspiring to me to maybe do more in life or step it up in my life personally Mm. or just 
to know that as bad as my life gets, sometimes as an able-bodied person, this disabled person is out here doing the damn thing. And whatever, mm-hmm. like, I understand there's a little bit of ableism and infantilization wrapped up in that, right? Because the expectation in general is that we as disabled people live like children for all of existence. And mm-hmm. some some of us do because there's not a choice. Some of mm-hmm. us do because we were ill-prepared by the folks who brought us up. Mm-hmm. And some of us don't find a way out of that, I don't know, indoctrination, I guess. Yeah. Um, and there are those of us who are able to do more and, um, you know, we make the most of our lives the best way we can, like non-disabled people. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's wrong for other people to find their meaning or purpose for their life in supporting disabled people or see disabled people living and be like, you know what? They have this kind of epiphany about their own life. I guess the inspiration porn aspect is really when you wave it around in other people's faces. Like, look how much good I am doing by supporting the disability community. I'm getting, what do you call it, heaven points or whatever the fuck. Right. That's where it gets gross. You're not just getting meaning from it, but you want everybody to pat you on the back. On the back. But if it's just part of the meaning of our existence as disabled people is sometimes the meaning other people glean from being a witness to our existence, I guess. Oh, I hope that made sense. I get what you're saying. And I'm not saying either that if other people didn't get meaning out of our existences or for the folks whose existences seem meaningless to non-disabled people, like, well, they just shouldn't exist. I'm not saying that. No, no. I do think it's interesting, though, because if you have a non-disabled person and they see a disabled person and they go, wow, they're doing that, then why am I not? Mm-hmm. Because there's just this essentially hierarchy, right? And it's like, as a non-disabled person, I'm at the top of the food chain as far as it goes, right? And this person was starting at a deficit. We have a deficit, sure, because we have little or no sight, yeah. right? But that doesn't mean anything as far as meaning to life is concerned. But there are people who will say, well, if they can do that and they have that life, then what the hell am I doing? Or I should definitely be able to accomplish. And it's like there's that inherent belief of I'm better than they are, but they're doing better than I am. Absolutely. It's really messy. I don't want to make it seem like getting meaning in life from seeing disabled people through indirect interactions, I guess I want to call it, or just helping disabled people is wrong. But unfortunately, there is some ableism and infantilization wrapped up in that. Um, We kind of compared it to before. We're like, (laughs) people notice the four-year-old child who like, she knows four languages mm-hmm. or the 12 year old who has made some like scientific breakthrough <laughs> just by happenstance in a science fair project. And we're like, well, damn, like, well, damn, like <laughs> if you can do that at four or at 12 years old and I'm 30 and I've still got an entry level job or whatever, people start to feel a certain way about that. Like I should you be can more be successful. Yeah, right. You can be inspired. I normally get depressed. But that's just me. (laughs) I don't think anything of it. I think it's great for that 12-year-old and I want more for that 12-year-old. I hope that... I aspire to get to that level. Like, you are amazing. Yes. And it has nothing to do with me. But (laughs) I'm still at the very selfish point of, 
like if they're doing all of that and I've accomplished nothing, I'm late. Yeah, (laughs) it's it's hard. And it's hard for us as adults looking at children. But I do think it's a great comparison Mm. when you talk about non-disabled people and the way that they look at our success as disabled folks and they want to measure where they are in the marathon of life versus where we're at. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it definitely is healthy to move beyond that. I'm not saying I'm beyond that in all respects, but when it comes to children, I'm just like, wow, that is amazing what Mm -hmm. children are able to accomplish. That's beautiful. I'm not there yet. And in society, though, when it comes to disabled folks, this is where the infantilization comes in because it's like Mm -hmm. they think the same way about us. Like, wow, it's amazing that you can accomplish that. But it's not on the scale of making a scientific breakthrough or speaking foreign languages. It's on the scale of like, wow, you can wash your own ass and clean your own house type of stuff. Right. You're like, whoa, you can exist as an adult. Right. Because the bar is lower than it is for children. I honestly think the bar is lower than it is for children because they see us as infantile. Right. Mm -hmm. We're like children are not viewed as inherently helpless at all stages of childhood um, and adolescence, whereas infants are viewed as helpless people and disabled people get categorized with infants. So it's really unfortunate. Okay. The next point that Helen Keller made in that first paragraph was that tolerating the existence of severely disabled folks devalues non-disabled life or the lives of folks who aren't severely disabled, deformed, etc. As disgusting as that idea sounds, Society totally believes this. I don't think it only applies to disabled people. I think it applies to a lot of different marginalized communities. When we exist in the same spaces as they do, when we want to have the same rights as these people do, want to have the same jobs, the same access to education, access to health care, it devalues what they can do as people in the dominant culture. Let's take marriage, for instance. Let's. When you talk about marriage equality in relation to same-sex marriages, Uh people argue that somehow same-sex marriage takes away from the sanctity of just marriage in general. Well, I think because the idea is that marriage is only for heterosexuals. And so when you incorporate same-sex into it, those people which I never understood, right? They feel like, oh, well, this devalues marriage because now it's inclusive and it was meant to be exclusive. And I just think that's ridiculous because my thought process on that is, what does one person's marriage have to do with yours? That just doesn't make any sense. Whether another person gets married or not or divorced or not, what bearing does that have on you and your marriage? But they want to hold on to power and make it an exclusive club where only X type of people can get in. You could apply this to disabled people because Uh there were laws on the books forbidding disabled people from marrying because the idea of marriage was that the goal is to procreate. Don't want disabled people procreating. I think Dr. Heiselden said that. Yes. And producing (laughs) lower form humans and you know Mm -hmm. muddying the gene pool yes that was the term the idea was that allowing disabled folks to marry was um devaluing the sanctity of marriage Mm -hmm. probably still is it probably still is in present day society for sure there's this belief that 
disabled existence isn't worth living. For sure, this is why you have a lot of disabled people who say they're not disabled. They don't want to get seen that way. They don't want to get seen as worthless or unable. And so Mm -hmm. they'll assert that they're not disabled. Or you'll get told, don't say you're disabled. Don't say you're handicapped. Like, type of stuff. Where it's like, you you are applying all of the baggage that you have with disability onto me. Please get that out of here. Kind of the same thing people do with their, like, I don't identify as black. Black is fun. But they're like, I don't identify with that because of all the negative connotation that goes along with it. And it's like. They still see you as black. Wake they the still see up. you as black. So, and it's like, you have to repurpose that then and make it your yes. own because it's not going to detract from the fact, like you said, they see you how you are. I can say like, no, 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 I'm not blind. I used to feel that way about saying I was blind because I'm like, well, blind means you can't see anything. Yeah. People use blind interchangeably with unaware. Yes. Blind to me had a very narrow, narrow definition, but now I've repurposed that. So I don't mind saying that I'm blind because I am. Do I have some sight? Sure. But am I blind? Yes. And I don't care what society might think of me using that terminology because it's my truth. So when people say like, don't say that you're disabled, don't Mm -hmm. say you're blind, don't say you're whatever. Yeah. Well, and for sure, folks in general, non-disabled or not, because we are Mm -hmm. most of us raised by non-disabled people. If not, you're definitely raised in a society that is built for non-disabled people. We're taught to think of disabled existence as a lower form of existence. Something to be fixed. Like you're not a whole person. You can't live a normal life. Is there a cure for that? We don't get taught to just accept everybody doesn't have the same abilities and their lives are equally worth living. Mm -hmm. As we said, just because I don't want to live a certain life doesn't mean it's not worth living. When we consider the worthwhile existence or the meaningful life, we need to really think about that. And when we talk about personhood, it makes it really tricky because you can clear all the broken ideology away about Mm -hmm. meaningful life and worthwhile existence and still not view disabled people as people or at least not treat disabled people as people and still treat us as infants first or inherently unable. Mm -hmm. We are not taught. We can give people the space to exercise autonomy more often than we realize, even if you have a person who is developmentally disabled or blind or who has locked-in syndrome. Those people all still have autonomy and agency. They do not have the same abilities. and And the problem is that we have assigned a certain set of abilities to having autonomy and agency. And that's where we got to start disentangling that. I agree. There needs to be a societal shift in belief that humans are inherently entitled to personhood. And until that happens, well, we're going to have to keep dismantling it wherever we can. It's a hard-ass road, though. This is Intersectional Insights. If you like our content, leave us a rating or review to help the podcast. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. 
And if you have any comments, questions, or topic suggestions, you can email us, intersectionalinsights at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you.